forgot my special mic. <laughs> Hallelujah. We serve an awesome God, and I concur with everything that uh, Brother Lowe is saying. Just it seems like every time we come to church, I'm expecting God to move and to uh, just do something incredible. And I, I feel that. And part of that is going to be wrapped in what we're going to speak on tonight. Now, if you have been around any type of, of Pentecostal church for any length of time, you, you hear a phrase, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. Now, for some, because it seems their only connection to spiritual gifts may be through, say, 1 Corinthians or something like that, they get a little fear in them because, well, well let me just back up. I hope everybody understands this, but let me back up for just a moment. Uh, when you read the epistles in the, in the Bible, uh, th- those letters that these disciples and the, uh, these apostles wrote, you, you, you have to realize first that they wrote those letters to a particular group of people for a particular purpose, all right? So we have the benefit now of that being part of the Bible, and, and we see that. But don't ever forget that first and foremost, those epistles, those letters, were written to a particular audience. And so in the book of First and Second Corinthians, Paul was writing to the church there in Corinth, and they had some problems. It, it was a, a church that just kind of got a little bit out of hand. Uh, pride was very rampant in that church. People felt like they could be more spiritual than the ones sitting next to them. And so in 1 Corinthians, there is some reprimands that God gave the Corinth church. And sometimes we feel that because Paul had to reprimand that church, then we just ought not let any gifts of the Spirit you know, reign. But that's not at all true because the Bible says they are gifts. And this uh, month, I've been preaching a series called The Gifts That God Gives to the Church. We like to talk about what we can do and what we give to God, but I want you to understand that God has given great gifts to the church. He loves the church. It's his body. It's his bride, using different terminology. God is is so just, if I can put God as a in, in personal terms, he's excited when the church is moving forward. He's excited when the church is growing. He's excited when revival is happening because that's his dream. That's his goal. That's his plan. And it's been that plan from the beginning. God has always placed man in a prominent role in everything that God does. God, in the days of, of creation, He stepped into a chaotic, formless world, and with just the word of God, things began to happen, light and darkness and water and land and, and, and you know stars and sun and moon and animals and grass and trees. He spoke that all into existence, and then in the middle of that, that, that land, in the middle of that garden of Eden, he planted man. He put man there, and he said, man, of course it's Adam, but he said, Adam, your job is to keep the garden. Now God, I mean, if God can speak a world into existence, surely he could have put a maintenance plan into existence. But he chose man to get in the middle of that and to be a part of that. And and, and unfortunately, man messed up. And God didn't throw man away. 
so he, you go a little further, and, and, and one of the next things that you see is, is uh, the, the, the law and the covenant and the tabernacle plan. And guess who's right in the middle of that? Man. High priests and priests, and they're, they're doing it all. And, of course, they, they, had a, they messed that up too. You can start reading the Old Testament. Man didn't quite get it right. And so God finally said, I'm going I'm to take care of this. I'll become man. Emmanuel, God with us, he became flesh. The, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily in this man named Christ Jesus. And he walked on this earth and he, he, he died. He, he was born, he died, he was buried, he rose again. All so that he might first win our salvation. We, we preached on that, I think we get it. But secondly, he did all of that so he could lay a framework, a groundwork, and say, follow me. And he wasn't going to leave man this time to his own devices. He said, look, I've got to go away, but I will come again. Just go to Jerusalem for a moment, tarry there, and, and until you be endued with power from on high. Those, uh, I, I kind of find it a little bit interesting, and I guess it's the way uh, church and, and things of God will always be. It seems to indicate that on the mountain of, 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 of ascension when God, uh, when Jesus translated up to heaven, it seems like there were 500 people that were there. They're watching him go up. Angels come down and say, why are you seeking him there? You know, go to Jerusalem, do what he said. But when you get to Jerusalem, there's only 120. Somewhere along the line, some people kind of got off the boat. They got off the, the train. But there in the upper room, they're seeking, they're praying, they're all in one mind, they're all in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting and they were filled with that promise that Jesus had been talking about all along. He said, I will live in you. And so now this, this spirit, uh, 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 Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so it is that God... He, he designed a church that would be birthed on that day of Pentecost. It was going to carry the gospel, the good news. It was going to carry the truth of this living God to all uh, of the world. One of the, the most unique, powerful phrases in the Bible talks about some of these disciples in this new church. And it says, you know, it basically says they, 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 they connected and changed and made a difference in the whole world world 120 people in an upper room ragtag group different different backgrounds different people and from there look what has never been lost the church of the living God keeps going forward and so the, the first lesson we talked about was Emmanuel, God with us. It was God giving himself to us and he did it for a purpose. It's for our salvation but it's also for our betterment. He gives us power. And I think we need to understand that we're not just saved to sit on a pew, but he saved us so that we could do a work for him. And all of us are called to do a work for him. And then uh, Sunday morning I preach uh, on, I, I thought it was going to be the second lesson and ended up being a, a two-part lesson, but Sunday morning I preached on that, that this, the second gift that God has given the church is you. We spent a lot of time, before we even got to the church part, we just spent a lot of time hopefully allowing you to understand through God's word and through the power of his spirit that you matter. That God isn't just, you know, God doesn't just say, well, if, if, if you don't do anything, I'll just throw you away and I'll find me someone else. 
God cares about you. And I want you to go listen to that sermon if you haven't had a chance to listen to it. And then Sunday night, we kind of began to bring it a little bit together that, that each of us, God has given us a gift and he wants us to use it in the church. He wants us to be involved in the church. The church was never, ever, ever designed to be just a pastor and a group of people sitting on a pew listening to what the preacher says. It was never designed to be like that. And so tonight, I want to preach, teach, mainly teach on spiritual gifts. And I'm going to do it in the most simplest way terms I can because if we're not careful we think of spiritual gifts as super spiritual uh, use the word spooky even and and we get so intimidated that we never give it a chance to operate and I want to I want to tell you just a few things about the uh, the spiritual gifts and so if you're looking for a deep sermon you have to come back another night or, or, or you, can, you can hear other messages I've preached over the last 10 years on it. But I'm going to do it in very simple terms because I want each and every one of you to realize that God has given all of us gifts. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you uh, to turn with me. We're, we're going to first turn to Romans chapter 12. And so I want to invite you to turn there. And as uh, you turn, I'm doing a couple things. First off, if you're really interested in this, I want to recommend a book that I'm going to read from and teach from just a little bit here. Uh, but it's, it's by our general superintendent, David Bernard. And he is an incredible theologian and scholar, and he has written uh, many scholarly works. But I like the fact that he can write in a scholarly fashion, but yet all can understand it. And this book, it's called Spiritual Gifts, and in it, he's going to go over many of the gifts that we go over tonight. And uh, he does it very simply. But he also has a lot of examples and a lot of that gift in action through his ministry, through uh, his, his parents' ministry who were founding missionaries there in uh, Korea. And, and so you're, you're going to find it. So I, I, you can get it off of Amazon as an ebook, a Kindle book if you like that, or you can, it's on Amazon. You can go to our Pentecostal publishing house and you can buy it, but it's incredible. And I'm going to use some of it tonight. So in a little bit, you'll see me crack it open and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach from it as well. But let's look at Romans chapter 12. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to read it kind of in its entirety and then we'll break it down uh, just a little bit. But I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, I'm reading the English Standard Version. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone... Among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think him, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, if we, though being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service, or if service in our serving, if one who teaches in his teaching, if one who exhorts in his exhortation, in one who contributes in generosity, in one who leads with zeal, in one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
Let love be genuine. Abhor that what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, or, or do, not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The reason I read that in its entirety is I want you to see how it all fits together. Sometimes we just take one part out and we don't, we don't connect it. I, I read earlier on Facebook, someone said, I'm trying this killing with kindness thing, but it's just taking a really long time. Take it as you, as you feel. If that was of the Spirit, you can take it. If it wasn't, just laugh or you can use it tomorrow around the water cooler. But when I read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, I, I have just mentally in my mind just sort of naturally, and this is not right, but naturally split that verb, that, that chapter. The first part. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed. I always kind of put that over here, and then somewhere along the end of that chapter, we get into some spiritual gifts. But I think it's important for us to realize how they fit together. That we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, and part of that means to work for him. To present ourselves as living sacrifices, willing to say, Lord, whatever you need me, whatever you desire of me, I will do it. In this portion of scripture, there are seven gifts that are mentioned. Now, there's, there's three main places that we see the spiritual gifts. There's Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ephesians chapter 4 is the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I'm going to hit that a different day. We're not going to d- discuss that tonight. I'm going to hit that uh, most likely next Wednesday night. I want to talk about the importance of pastors and, and teachers in your life and, and preachers and, and uh, things like that. I want to talk about that, that, I guess if you will, ministry gifts, the ministerial office. And, and it's important that we have those in our own lives and we have them operating in this church. But uh, tonight, I'm going to talk about two different groups of gifts. The first is the service gifts. This is in Romans chapter 12. And then the second group of gifts is the spiritual gifts that you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The the first set of gifts, um, I'm going to give them to you really simple because I want you to see how easy it is to operate in the gifts that God gives. Um, I, as I grow older in this and I walk through life, I realize that, you know, I guess there was a, a time in my life where I thought that God would just, you know, pick somebody up and, 
and, and just open their mouth and use them like a puppet, you know, and they had no idea what they were doing. And, you know, I guess in immaturity, perhaps that's how we feel that God uses people in spiritual gifts, that he just kind of takes over. But that's not at all what happens. God uses ordinary people who have been filled with an extraordinary God. And, and while none, I don't know that any of us are going to operate in all of these gifts, but all of these gifts need to be in operation in a, in a healthy church. Why? Because several times over and over it says these gifts are given for the edifying of the church, for the building up of the church. I, I've never seen it personally, but I heard a, I heard a church one time, they were in, a, in just a horrid church split, you know, just people mad at each other and they'd and then this is a true story um, they would come to church and one group would sit on this side and one group would sit on this side and you had this almost Hatfield and McCoy feud going on in church and 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 they would operate and I'm using this very loosely they would operate in spiritual gifts and somebody on this side would stand up and say thus saith the Lord and then just go to blasting somebody on the other side and somebody over there would stand up and, and give some prophetic word so to speak and blast somebody on that side well I can help you real quick the gifts of the Spirit will never be used to tear down or to cause confusion. Because God says, I don't, first off, God's not the author of confusion. That's one verse that the Bible uses. And second, God wants the church to grow. And so because of that, the gifts of the Spirit do not need to be hard to understand or even hard to, to allow them to be used in our life. And so if you saw there... Uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 6, having gifts that differ in prophecy, in service, in teaching, in exhortation, in giving, in leadership, and in mercy. Now, all of these, you can have them in a natural sense, but when you couple them with the gift of God's Spirit in you, it becomes so much more powerful. The word prophecy here is a little bit different than what we're going to see when it comes to the supernatural gifts in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when it talks about the gift of prophecy. Um, in this understanding, if you kind of go back to the original Greek, this prophecy here does not mean a foretelling. It does not mean, you know, that you know what's happening. It literally means an anointed testimony or spoken word that edifies others have you and, and I'm going to ask a lot of rhetorical questions today and if you want to raise your hand that's fine but it, it's, they're rhetorical questions but have you ever in your own life or has someone ever just spoken to you and as they begin to talk to you maybe they shared a testimony maybe they just shared uh, uh, just kind of spoke and when you got done you realized that's exactly what you kind of needed to hear and man it boosted your spirit that's that the prophecy again it's not a foretelling it's that, we'll talk about that in the supernatural gifts but in these service gifts there is a deep desire of God to use anybody that will, that would just allow themselves to give an anointed 
God-filled testimony and you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a, a, a minister's degree. You don't have to have any practice. You're just simply sharing the good news of God any way you can. You can brighten up someone's day. You can, you can just give them your testimony and it edifies, it builds up. It, it, it's, it's speaking. It's, it's a, a proclamation. It's just simply speaking good things of God to people. The second service gifts is the, is the gift of ministry. Now this gift of ministry does not mean ministry in a, a, an official capacity like a preacher or a pastor, but it means literally service to others. Service to others. So let me show you uh, what Brother Bernard said about this one. He was in it, and, and, and I love just how easy he, he uses it. Um, in, in ministry, he says that ministry means service to others, particularly service in the church. Some people are especially gifted with an attitude and an ability to uh, serve in certain capacities. And so when I begin to look at this church, and I begin to look at all the different ways that people serve in this church, from, from Sunday school teachers and nursery workers to our greeting ministry to uh, even, even those that clean the church and, and, and those that, that are, are, are taking attendance and they're serving. That's a spiritual gift. I want you to see it more than just a job or more than just, hey, I have a certain talent and, you know, and I like playing with computers, so I want to do something on the computers. I want you to realize that it is a gift that God has given you for you to use to the church. And it is awesome when you do that. If God has given you an ability to serve, to help, to uh, do something for the church, I want you to do it. I want you to use it and realize it's a gift God has given. Then we have the gift of teaching. This teaching literally means instruction. And it doesn't, it, it, in fact, we're not even talking about instruction from a pulpit. But it's simply teaching others about God. You ever had a conversation where someone asks you, says, you know, I, I, was, I, I know you go to church, and I was thinking about this. I was reading about this. What do you think? And you just begin to kind of explain, and you, you try to lead them through some Bible verses. You're operating in the gift of teaching right there. You don't have a degree. You, you, you may not know all the Bible, but you do know some things. You know that you were baptized, and so you start talking to them about being baptized. You know you repented of your sins. You start talking about them being, uh, being you being uh, repentant, and you begin to teach them. This is a perfect, a, one, a perfect example of this is those who teach home Bible studies. And, and home Bible studies is, uh, again, that's something else we make a little bit too complicated. Uh, uh, you just need to make sure in your life you spend some time teaching others about God. In whatever capacity you can, when you do that, you are exhibiting a spiritual gift. The fourth service gift is the gift of exhortation. Uh, using Brother Bernard's study and, and some other study, it literally means a gift of encouragement. 
It, it, is, a, it is a comfort. It's, and, and here's some examples of exhortation, encouragement, and comfort. Have you ever just looked around and said, you know, so-and-so, I haven't seen them lately at church, and you, you pick up the phone and you say, hey, I was just, I was thinking about you today. If you've ever done that, you have operated in this gift that God has given the church, the gift of exhortation. You ever sent somebody a letter that just says, thinking about you, praying for you, send them a text or a note, I'm praying for you? Have you ever just extended a friendship to someone and then later on you realize they desperately needed to hear your voice at that moment? You're operating in a gift of exhortation according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. And that is one of the most important gifts in this day and age, I think, that, that a church can have is the gift of encouragement, the gift of, 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 of comfort, the gift of personal connection. And then you exhort, you uplift them. The, 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 the fifth one is the gift of giving. Now you say, well, pastor, don't we all give or aren't we all supposed to give? Absolutely. And, and, and uh, our tithes and our offerings and we do that but I have noticed in my life and I've noticed in the life of others there are some people that just have a gift of giving their, their spirit is generous and it could be that they, they give to the church or maybe they give to individuals in the church when they are in need or, or, or they find ways to help and, and, and we have seen that in our church. I've seen that in my life that sometimes there is a gift that says I want to give more, a little bit more than perhaps I've ever given. I want to help someone. I want to help the church. I want to get involved. And so one of the gifts that God gives the church is he allows someone to have a spirit of generous giving the uh, sixth one is leading in the King James I think it says ruling but it's direction it's guidance it's influence and it really means leadership and so in a church we, we we've got to have leadership we've got uh, a pastor and a, 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 a assistant to the pastor we've got a, a youth pastor we have a Sunday school director we have a children's church leader and we have leaders in our church and when you do that um, it's a gift that God gives. Leadership is a gift that God gives. Some people can do it and some can't. Some people just have a natural knack of influence. And one of the things we have to be careful is how we use our influence. Because we can use our influence for the wrong thing. That's not a spiritual gift. But when you use your influence to reach out to others and to build them up and to lead them and edify them, you're operating in that gift. And then... The last one is the showing mercy. Showing mercy. And again, here's just some, some simple uh, ways to look at that. Have you ever visited someone who was sick? Have you ever made someone a meal that was sick and, and, and you, know, you knew they were going to have a hard time you know, making a meal? My wife made a meal for Sister uh, Sharon Wyatt yesterday. She is home, thank the Lord, she's home from the surgery, she's at home, and she's able to walk, but I'm sure after having a major surgery, she has no desire to cook a big meal, and so my wife got together, and, and she made a meal, that's operating in this gift of mercy, you ever assisted someone who couldn't help themselves, maybe you, you, you mowed someone's yard that 
that either didn't have a mower at that moment or couldn't or you helped the poor or you reached out. It's showing mercy and that's more than just a good human element. It's a gift from God and our church needs that operating. Our church needs the operation of those who are willing to give their anointed testimonies and, and, and that's that word prophecy. Our church needs that ministry, that service to others, that teaching and, and, and instruction. It needs that exhortation, that encouragement to those around us. It needs those who will give in a generous manner. It needs those who can lead and direct and guide and influence. And it needs those that show mercy. Now, as I begin to say that, so now let me, let me ask a question that I want a response from. In those uh, seven different categories, have you ever operated in any of those categories? Surely, please tell me there's more than three people. Then all of a sudden you realize spiritual gifts aren't that hard at all if you'll just let God lead you. These service gifts, we don't talk a ton about them. Most of the times when we talk about spiritual gifts, we naturally go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we're going to talk about here in a moment. But I want to tell you, in God's church, these seven gifts I just mentioned are in desperate need of operation. I want you to listen to me again. They're in desperate need of operation. So I'm going to go over this list one more time. I'm telling you, I'm being simple as I can be. The Lighthouse Church as part of the global church of, of, of the living God, needs somebody to give their anointed testimony to edify others. The Lighthouse Church needs service, ministry to others, and ministry and service in the church. We need people who said, just let me serve. It's the sons of Korah that says in the book of Psalms, I think it's 84, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I don't have to do anything grand. I don't have to do anything glamorous. I'll take the offering. I'll, I'll make sure the doors are unlocked. I'll make sure the, the church is vacuumed. I'll make sure that whatever you need, that's a service gift. We need desperately in the church the gift of teaching, of instruction to go forth. We need the gift of encouragement and exhortation. We need the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, and the gift of showing mercy. And so that's one method or one manner that we can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and if you'll allow me, I'm going to do kind of what I did. Uh, you know, I'm going to read it and then let's go through them. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are, are spiritual gifts. These are gifts that, that are going to come, they may not come as naturally as, you know, showing mercy to others. They may not show up as naturally as uh, you know, giving your testimony. But these are going to operate in the direction and the unction of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the, spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The remainder of that chapter I spent a long time Sunday night speaking about, so I'm not going to uh, get back into that. But you have here uh, nine different gifts that are, are listed. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, the working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And so what I want to... Uh, just tell you, and, and I, all of these, all of these, I could take one sermon on every one of these. That's how deep I could get. But I'm going to give just a little bit on each one. The word of wisdom. Have you ever had in your life, or maybe you've operated in this, have you ever had in your life someone come, and it's you, for, for me, it's, it's usually happened in a, in a prayerful moment, maybe at an altar call or someone calls, and, and it's a very, very, solemn, you know, holy moment. You can tell that it's a God moment, if you will. But have you ever had someone just begin to speak and give you wisdom that you know came from God and they said exactly what you needed to hear? They, they begin to speak into your life and, and, and they begin to give advice. And I have seen this as a pastor operate in my own life many times when I know that I shouldn't I don't have that knowledge just as Brandon Paul Buford. I have people walk up and, and they'll talk and they'll it'll be a, a, a situation and a deep thing that that the the just Brandon Buford is not gonna know how to navigate those waters. But in a moment of, of just almost a, an internal prayer, God begins to allow that word of wisdom to go and it's a it's a remember it always it always edifies. Now it may be you need to quit doing bad stuff, but it's always edifying. And it's teaching and it's leading and it's guiding someone in a path that they need to go, and it's a word of wisdom. And, and when you begin to do that, we need that operating in our church. Um, let's see if I can find that real quick. I couldn't find my... my uh, book that I had and I have it marked up it's it's everywhere so I I had it on my computer that I was studying in and then I had to get my my dad to bring me one of the books from uh, headquarters but I haven't had a chance to uh, mark it all up if you will I apologize for slowing the sermon down word of wisdom. When God operates this way, God has not given you all the wisdom in the world. You're not going to know everything. That's only for God to know, but he gives you a, a portion of it, if you will. It's a, it's a portion of divine insight. So here's one of the examples. If you remember in, in the end part, the latter part of the book of Acts, uh, Paul was on a ship and, and as he's on the ship, uh, it's, it's, gonna, it's in a storm. He's a, a prisoner there. They're going to Rome. It's on a storm. 
and, and God begins to speak to Paul and Paul gets that centurion that's in charge and says, look, the ship is going to break up. The ship is in a bad storm and, and the, the natural inclination is for us to abandon ship and just every man for himself. But God has told me that if we stay on this ship, everyone who stays on the ship is going to be okay. That's a word of wisdom. Paul was not an experienced sailor. There's no way to know that except that God let him have a, a word of wisdom. And I have seen that in my life where, where, where someone has talked to me and I have spoken a word of wisdom and it was a direction that God was giving them. And of course, it's up to the person to receive it. They've either got to follow the wisdom of God or they can choose to ignore it, but it's up to them. The second one is the word of knowledge. And this is a little bit, it's very much the same, but it's a little bit differently. The word of knowledge is, have you ever had someone in your life, or maybe you've been uh, one who's done it, but have you ever spoken about somebody and a situation that they're in that you didn't know anything about, it just kind of was there, and later they go, how did you know what I was going through? That's a word of knowledge. I, I, there, there was a time in my life as a minister, someone came and began to talk to me, and as they begin to talk, I, I've only had this happen about two times in my life, but as they begin to talk to me, in my, in my mind, God laid their life out. And it was, it was as clear as if I was watching a, a timeline. God said, if they do this, this is going to happen. And if this happens, this is going to happen. And if this happens, this is going to happen. And it, it, the ultimate was, if they continue down this road, they will never come to church ever again. They'll just, they'll leave church, they'll walk away. That's pretty hard to tell somebody, you know, when you start walking through it. But I, I looked at them because I realized it was a word of knowledge. I looked at them and I said, I said, I'm, I'm telling you in, 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 in this word of knowledge that God has given me that the, the decision you're about to make is a very dangerous decision. And that if you do this, it won't be very long. And I, I said, it won't be very long and this is going to happen. And then if, if, if you continue, it won't be very long, and this is going to happen. And ultimately, I ended with, you will no longer even, even come to church or even, even you know, serve God. And they walked out of my office, and everything that God laid out, it was clockwork. They did. And now they, they don't even believe that God is real anymore. It's a word of knowledge. Now, that's perhaps a negative. It, it really, it, I mean, it's a negative word, but if they would have accepted it, it would have built them up. It would have edified. But I've also seen other words of knowledge where someone has spoken into my life and said, Brandon, you're going through this, but just hold on. God is about to do something incredible. And I remember uh, we had not been pastor very long, and and a, a visiting uh you know, man, he was in the church. I mean, he now I think he has his minister's license. Then he did not. He was younger than I was, even at my young age then. And I remember he came up to me after church and he said, Brother Buford, God gave me a word this morning for you. I said, all right. And he began to say, and he said two very specific prophecies. Two very specific prophecies. And, and, and I, I, I basically was taken aback and I said, all right. I mean, one of them was a hallelujah prophecy. The other one was wow, you know, type thing. And, and when, when he got done, I said, all right. It wasn't very long until one of those things that he mentioned, and I, I can't go into it, but one of those things that he mentioned unfolded in a day. And as soon as 
it, it began to play out. I remember God saying, I told you about that a couple months ago. And I told you exactly what you need to do with this situation. And it made, it made my, my decision-making process so easy. Because somebody had given me a word of knowledge from the Lord. And then the second thing, when it began to unfold and come to pass, it was just a miracle after miracle after miracle that God has done even for this church. And, and it's a word of knowledge. And those need to operate in our church. A word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. And I know for a fact that last Sunday, both of those were in operation. It happened to different people. It happened with different people. But I watched as, as you allowed God to move on you and you began to speak to others. And you were, you were giving them a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. The third one is the gift of faith. Now, all of us need to have a measure of faith. All of us have some sort of faith if we're going to even walk down the road of salvation. But this faith is a little bit differently. And, and I, I hesitate to give you all personal examples, but that's the only examples I have. Does that make sense? I can't, I can't give you your examples. I could read the examples in the book, but then... Why would you buy the book? I want you to go buy his book. Go read it. So I'm not going to give you all Brother Bernard's examples. So let me give you my examples of the word of, of, of the operation of faith. It's happened a while ago. It happened, when was your surgery, Dad? 96? 1996. My dad was, well, well, I didn't know it. One day he, he woke up, one night he woke up in horrible pain and, and just, just horrid, horrid pain. Mom and Dad uh, prayed just right there in the bedroom and it kind of subsided. He went to bed. And when he woke up the next morning, his eyes were as yellow as a cat. He had just overnight instantly jaundiced. And so, of course, they took him to the doctor, took him, and it ended up just, just almost all within a day or two, he was in the hospital, and they said, you've got a blockage of your bile duct, and we're going to have to operate on you, and we're going to have to explore and see what's wrong uh, there. Now, let me back up for a moment because about a, a week or two before that, there was, we were at a youth prayer meeting, and some of you have heard the story. We were at a youth prayer meeting, and, and I was, I guess, 15 and a half years old or so, uh, and I know that vividly because I turned 16, uh, and, and I wanted to get my driver's license, but Dad was in the hospital, and Mom wouldn't let me drive, and so I didn't get my driver's license until Dad recuperated, so I didn't get my driver's license. I was like 16 and a half, so um, I know that vividly. But um, it's, it's, it's just seared in my mind. <clears throat> but, but about two weeks or so before all of this transpired, we were in this, this uh, prayer meeting, this youth prayer meeting at, at one of our young people's houses, and we were all there, and our youth pastors and youth leaders were there. And one of the ladies was named Dawn, and she had a brain tumor in her head, and it was a very large brain tumor, and, and, and she was facing a lot of complications. And we were praying, and, and, and I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever had this happen since. But as we were praying, God spoke to me and said, she's healed. I got to think, 15-year-old, I'm not quite ready to say, you're healed, Sister Dawn. I didn't operate. I didn't even, I don't know that I knew I wanted to even preach at that point in my life. But uh, I, I remember thinking that somewhere I said to somebody that in that, that night, I said, man, God said he healed her. Well, it got back to Sister Dawn, and she came to me and she said, Brandon, what did God tell you? And now I'm stuck because I can't lie. And I looked at a lady with a brain tumor and I said, all I know is when I was praying for you, and all of us were praying, I said, God, very, very vividly, God told me you were healed. Well, that's a word of, of knowledge, okay? That's a word of knowledge. 
Well, a week, after, a week later after that, I was walking home from school, and she was in my driveway holding a manila envelope, and in one was an MRI or whatever they call those, Cascade MRI, that showed a large gray mass in the middle of her brain. And she said, that's the first picture. That's my tumor. She said, but today I went to the doctor. This is the, the, the scan they just took, and there was no tumor. And I saw her a year or so ago at a funeral um, of, of, a, of, a, of a, a friend of ours. And I, I began to talk to her about it because I hadn't seen her in years and years and years. And she was still saying that that, that, that tumors never come back. Well, this is what I want to get by the gift of faith. Because now we're about a week after all of that and my dad is faced with a major surgery. They ended up taking, you know, when, when, they, when they found that, that, that tumor wrapped around his bowel duct, because of the nature of that tumor and all that, they did a radical procedure where basically anything that touched that, they had to take out. Part of the stomach, part of the gallbladder, the part of the intestines. They took out his appendix just because. And they, they took out his, his gallbladder. They took out part of his pancreas. I mean, it's a major, major surgery. We found out later, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, but we found out later from the doctor that even though the doctor did the surgery, he said that, that nobody ever survives longer than about five to, to six, seven, eight years. And, and that's been back in 96. And so you do the math and see what God has done. But I remember walking to church. Dad was in the hospital. We didn't know what was going to happen. It's that dreaded C word. And somebody looked at me and said, Brandon, how are you doing? And I remember looking at him and saying, I'm good. God's got it. I mean, I just watched him heal somebody of, of a brain tumor. I think God has my dad in control. And, and I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But it, it's this gift of faith that sometimes in the middle of a circumstance or the middle of a trial, God gives you a gift to say, I may not know what the outcome's going to be, but my faith is strong right now. And sometimes you, God gives you that gift to help someone else. Have you ever have you ever helped someone? They 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 you know they're in the middle of that struggle. It's hard for them to 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 even pray and tread water. But you walk in and you operate in that gift of faith, and you say, "God's got this." It's a gift of faith. It's a gift to know that God's got it under control. And while the gift of faith may lead to the next one, you can have the gift of faith even if the outcome you thought was going to happen doesn't. And one of those. Incredible things is what I've seen, and, and some of you know Sister Joni Owens. We prayed for her. Uh, you know, she was in this latter stage, and she passed away, I think, early this morning or late last night. But through all of that, that cancer, and and she she God healed her and, and gave her, I think, five extra years, uh, that just miraculous. But through all of that, she never lost her faith. In fact, she ended up being a, a, a light to many others around her just because of that. And so, so you can have the gift of faith, even if the expected outcome doesn't come to pass but then you can have one of the, the other supernatural spiritual gifts is the gift of healing God desires it's he said these signs shall follow them that believe there is a a healing work that God is able to do that's why we keep praying for the sick that's why we keep letting God move and God sometimes allows through you not that you're anything special but it's, it's your prayer, it's, it's your uh, operation in that gift of healing that you pray for someone and God miraculously heals them. It's a pretty simple explanation of a gift and I'm sure all of us have seen stories. We've all 
seen things about that. And by the way, uh, just in a, in, a, in a testimony, and it's not a complete healing yet, but then again, I've seen in the Word of God how even Jesus performed a healing on a blind man, and it took a few times for that healing to be complete. And so I've, I realize there's different ways that God heals, but I went and visited Sister Thurston yesterday, I believe it was, or maybe Monday, I can't remember. But I want you to know God is doing a miraculous work in her life. And uh, she is, there was a, I saw her right before Thanksgiving, and I'm telling you, it was bad. She had, uh, part of, of, of what's going on is this retention of water in her legs, and it's, it's just awful. But God is removing that water. God is removing the pain. And uh, they are actually going to reevaluate her in January because she is doing so good and responding so well uh, to all of this. She's even, at least when I talked to her for the last 10 days, had not had to take a certain medicine that she had to take every day because her body was doing things on its own that it needed to do. Well, that's a miraculous gift that God allows to happen, and it's because this church is praying. It's a gift of healing. Some of you have testified that God has healed your body. And so it is a spiritual gift from the Lord. The fifth one is the working of miracles. And the easiest, I told you I'm making this easy. The easiest way to understand the gift of miracles, the working of miracles, is when God supernaturally does something that, that goes against time and nature and physics and laws. And I don't know if any of you have ever been this way, but uh, you ever been in a car wreck or ever been spinning out of control and you just shout Jesus and all of a sudden without your help the car gets right and nothing hits you? That's a working of a miracle. Sometimes we think the working of miracles has to be something huge and grand, but it's those things you can't quite always explain. And you just have to say God was in it. God was there at working of miracles. The gift of prophecy begins to get a little... Deeper Again, I, I wanted to differentiate between the prophecy in Romans chapter 12, which means the anointed testimony. But this prophecy is a little bit more like what you, what you think about. This prophecy it has a bit of a foretelling to it. Sometimes God allows his people you know, to work in a gift of prophecy, prophecy to see things as they might be. It can be in a positive manner. Sometimes it's in a negative manner because it's trying to get the attention. I mentioned earlier in that word of knowledge, that word of wisdom, part of that was a gift of prophecy that God said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. But another way that a gift of prophecy can work is when you can see what God is about to do. And I want to operate in this as your pastor because I want to be able to see what God is about to do in this church, what God is positioning our church to be, what God is is about to unleash. We, we've been, you know, raising money for a a building, pro, you know, building program, new land or a new building, and 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 as I drive by pieces of property, I begin to pray, God, show me what it could be, show me where we should be, show me what we should be doing. It's a gift of prophecy. The second is the discerning of spirits. Uh, Paul did this in, in um, if, you, if you remember right before Paul and Silas got thrown into prison they were walking in town and this little girl uh, came up and began to say the right things oh these men are, are you know they're followers of Jesus Christ they began to say the right thing but Paul turned around and perceived that she was doing it in a demonic way and she was going to stir up uh, you, you know seditions there and 
So he turned around and he rebuked that spirit and God delivered that girl and of course it made her masters mad who used her like a fortune teller to make money and then they put him in prison. But it's that discerning of spirits and and, and I, I have seen it in my life. I, I, I just wonder perhaps if there's any here. Sometimes you begin to walk and you just begin to feel something and you begin to realize that, that, that that's not a good spirit right there. You know, whatever, whatever I'm in, whatever, whatever's happening, whatever, whoever's talking to me, you can just begin to discern there's a spirit behind it. And it does not necessarily mean that you got to, you know, slap and rebuke spirits out of them. But sometimes we need to understand that we wrestle not against people, but we wrestle against spiritual things, spirit wickedness in high places. And so many times, one of the greatest ways you can discern spirits is when someone is, is when there's a conflict or there's an attacking of you. Maybe not a physical attacking, but there's an attacking of you. It would help you to realize and discern the spirit behind it and realize it might not be necessarily just that person. There may be a spirit behind it. There may be something pushing it, a, 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 a agenda. And so there's a discerning of spirits. Sometimes in church. Uh, I've had moments in church where I've discerned that someone is, even though it, it may, they may say the right thing, I've discerned that it was not the right spirit. And so that's some things that, that 1 Corinthians talks about. Uh, a pastor's job is to make sure the church stays in order and stays decent and, 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 and doesn't allow something to get out of control. And so there's a discerning of spirits. And then it says uh, different kinds of tongues. And so um, if you've been around a Pentecostal church, uh, you've probably maybe seen or heard this in action. Uh, it would be a service and usually... It, it, there's this kind of a holy moment, a holy hush, if you will, and then someone will begin to speak in another tongue and everybody's kind of quiet and you're just listening and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's a, 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 a uh, diverse tongue. Now, I, was, I told you, I think it was Sunday, about Sister Tinny and the class that I, that I took with Sister Tinny. Sister Tinny in this, at the beginning, talked about the three tongues that will happen in a believer's life. The first uh, instance of tongues is the initial evidence of your infilling of the Holy Ghost. Every believer, when they are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, will speak with other tongues as the Spirit give the, gives him or her utterance. That is the evidence. That's how you know, and everybody around you knows, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you've been filled with the Spirit. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You can know because you spoke in a heavenly language, a language you did not understand, and that is the initial evidence. The second way that a believer will speak in tongues is in a devotional uh, tongue. Many times uh, when you pray, and, and when I've prayed, I hear it uh, at, at almost every altar call that we have. There's, there's moments where you're not, no one's listening. It's just you and God, and you're praying, but you're speaking in tongues as you pray. And it's, a, it's an encouragement to you. It's an uplifting to you. The Bible even says that sometimes we don't know how to pray, or we don't know, know how we can get to praying. And the Bible says the Spirit will make intercession for us. So sometimes when we're, when we're praying in tongues, you know, just in our own prayers, it's the Spirit moving and, and interceding for us and praying and, 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 and in ways that we can't pray. And so that's the second form of, of that, that you'll see tongues in your life. But the third is the gift of tongues. And uh, tongues, it, 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 in a church... Um, I've just been taught, and I do it. When I hear someone begin to speak in tongues in, in, that, in that 
outward manner and you know the church kind of recognizes something holy is about to happen uh, if you're around me when, when they're doing that you'll, you'll hear me say thank you Lord for showing your presence thank you Lord for showing me your power now God give us the interpretation because I want to hear you've got our attention but what are you wanting to say and and you know that's not to say that you always have to have an interpretation uh, I've been in services where uh, there was not necessarily a, a um, interpretation. But it is that understanding of it gets the attention. It just kind of says, hey, God's in the house. You need to pay close attention to what he's about to do. But if you really desire that gift in its full capacity, we go to that last one, the interpretation of tongues. And it's where uh, someone has begun to, to speak with tongues, that holy hush, that he's got the attention. And then we say, God, you've got our attention. Now interpret. Tell us what we're going to say. And, and someone will begin to speak, and it's a word from the Lord, and it's the interpretation of that tongue. Now, I've heard King James Version interpretations. I've heard Cajun interpretations. I've heard... Uh, you know, people who sounded very smart when they interpreted, and I heard people who didn't sound quite as smart. There's not a right or wrong way. It, God doesn't have to speak in these and thous and thus saith the Lord. But what it is is it's God saying, now let me, let me tell you what I, I want to say, and it's always, always, look at your neighbor and say always. It will always uplift the church. The moment that a tongues and interpretation tears down any person or tears down the church it needs to be, 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 be silenced at that moment because it's not edifying and the Bible gives us some, some things and then if you read again I told you in, in, in 1 Corinthians that, that they had some issues with that and they kind of got pride and so they would everybody tried to outdo each other that's why in some things that I read it said if you want to outdo each other outdo each other in love and outdo each other in, in serving others but uh, so Paul has given some some advice. He says there should, you know, in in a, in a service, really we shouldn't have more than than three of those, because then you just kind of you just kind of let it go too far. God God is quite capable of speaking through His Word and through a preacher, but every once in a while you need that holy moment. But we don't need them fifteen times during a service. And so Paul said, I recommend that it just happen no more than three times. And so if you have a, a tongues that goes forth, maybe you hear another tongue, maybe, maybe one more. And then you, you desire for the interpretation. But all of these are combined to edify the church. And as I begin to look through this list, and, 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 and as I begin to, to look through it, I begin to realize that other than the ministerial office gifts that we're going to talk about later the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist the pastor and the teacher while the pastor may operate in these gifts and I think the pastor ought to operate in these gifts nowhere in these gifts that I've read tonight does it say the pastor needs to be the one that does that in fact as I begin to read it afresh I begin to realize that those gifts need to operate outside of the pulpit because that's the gift that God gives to the church he says the Holy Ghost that he put in you 
is no different than the Holy Ghost he put in me. I may have a calling of God to minister the word. I may have a calling of God to pastor and to lead a congregation. But my calling, I don't get more of God in my calling. That makes sense? I learned something a long time ago. You've heard people say it, and, and, and I get it. So if any of you singers have ever said this, I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not trying to throw you on the bus. But just like I don't like to use the term God robed himself in flesh because it kind of cheapens what God actually did. He didn't put on a costume. He became fully man. He, I mean, he, it was more than just put on flesh. It was more than a costume. He, he became flesh. But have you ever heard someone say before maybe they sing a solo, oh, pray that God would anoint.